You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Josiah, and today, by phone, we're joined by an extremely special guest. And I know I say that every guest is special, but this guest truly is special. Uh, He goes back away into our church's history, believe it or not. Uh, Actually, uh, Bill, you go back technically before Horizons Church was even a thing. Is that right? That's right. That's right. I've known uh, your family. Uh, your, your your parents uh, certainly had a shaping influence on my life for many years, and as having a number of folks in the congregation, uh, I could I could list probably five to ten families pretty easily uh, of individuals that um, I've long admired and looked up to as believers and and, and followers of Christ, and um, have rejoiced with Horizons over the years. I still have old Horizons paraphernalia <laughs> when they first started in my home, and and uh, so. I've been praying for you all and just thrilled for, for the things that are the good things that are happening. I mean, yeah. you guys are doing a great work and yeah. Uh, yeah, we're thankful for it. Yeah, that's awesome. So in case for those of you who aren't sure uh, who Bill is, I'm talking to Dr. William Barker. <laughs> um, he, Bill's uh, just fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, see, it's, you've got a pretty, uh, you've got a pretty impressive catalog of, uh, Academic accomplishments and uh, and business accomplishments. Even I was actually reading earlier this morning about uh, brokers' growth, which I'm guessing is the uh, the business you talked to me about when we, uh, my wife and I visited you a few weeks ago. That's, uh, that's right. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. So you've done. You've been in business, profit, nonprofit, and of course you have a PhD. Get this, everybody. Bill Barker has a PhD in ancient Middle Eastern languages and civilizations from Cambridge. <laughs> just amazing to me. Uh, just amazing. And that's uh, so you you know Ugaritic, right? You're probably like one of like twelve people in the world that knows Ugaritic. <laughs> Oh, it's more. It's more. It's more than twelve. It may not be more than one hundred and twelve, but it's more than twelve. Uh, so yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a handful of us nerds out there um, that that in, in, enjoy this and, and uh, yeah. But you're you're too kind. Oh, far too kind. golly. Well, we're just really excited to have you on the podcast and uh, thankful that you were willing to uh, join us and contribute some uh, some insights and have a conversation. Well, thank you. I'm honestly excited to do this. I was really felt honored by the invitation. As I said, I followed the church for a long time. And as I've shared with you and others before, um, your dad, Quint, your mom, Sarah, just been people that I've looked up to and admired. I've thought of your dad as, as a father figure in my life for many years and um, couldn't be more grateful for you all. And um, uh-huh. just uh, thrilled for the for the work of the church and um, uh, glad to, to be a part of anything you all are doing. Glad yeah. to be on board. Yeah, awesome. Well, we're so glad you're with us. Um, so let's let's tap into some of that uh, that ancient Middle Eastern expertise here. Um, we will just be uh, I finishing up um, a series on Genesis 12 through 22. We'll have been covering the life of Abraham for the past eight weeks, mm-hmm. and I'm curious from your perspective when you're thinking about. Um, that culture and that time, um, if there was one thing that you wish everyone knew about ancient Near Eastern, Middle Eastern culture that would change the way they read books like Genesis um, and they read the stories of people like Abraham, uh, what, what would that 
one thing be that you wish everyone knew? The one thing I, I wish the people realized about the ancient Near Eastern context is simply that context matters, right? Um, mm-hmm. We have a saying that is context is king uh, in biblical studies. And the idea is that just as a king governs his, his realm, uh, so the context governs the way we interpret scripture patterns. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't sort of one major cultural historical insight uh, from the ancient Near East that would uh, somehow reshape the way that we see all of the, the, the scriptures because there are so many different cultures involved. So mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, for example, you have six major cultures uh, involved. And by major, I mean ones that had international influence when they were at the zenith of their power. Mm -hmm. And then an additional six regional Canaanite cultures that have influence on the biblical text. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the cultures that influence Abraham uh, from ancient Canaan in a particular time period and also his background in ancient Ur, modern-day Iraq, um, these are very different than, say, uh, the cultures that King Solomon is dealing with when he's mm-hmm. working out international peace treaties with, with uh, the Egyptian empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, the, or, or Isaiah, as he's crying out warnings uh, before the um, Assyrian and, and, and much later Babylonian exile. So mm-hmm. these are, are, are the point is that you have so many of these cultures, but context does matter. Yeah. And just to give an example of how context matters that can be so enriching, when you read Isaiah chapter 1, uh, and it talks about our skin, our, our sins uh, being scarlet, but, but God being able to make them uh, white as snow, the context, mm-hmm. the background at that period in time was that there was a dying method uh, where they would crush a particular type of worm, actually, uh, oh, to get this red dye, and the red, the blood, blood of this of this worm was so uh, powerful that when it died close even bleach could not take the stain out it would ruin wow. the garments uh, and so they used it for dyeing purposes intentionally to create a red or, or orange uh, fabric. Uh, but if you ever wanted to change it, it was it was literally irreversible. And that's the the terminology there mm. that is used in Isaiah 1 that says our sins have have scarred us. They have Mm. marred us. They have marked us permanent with a permanent stain. And yet, through the miraculous intervention and forgiveness of God, we Mm. are made white again. Uh, And so the point is that this is something that can only be done by the hand of God. So context matters. Uh, Another real quick example uh, would be you hear about uh, the law. And Mm -hmm. often this comes into secular debates. And you hear people say, well, you know, if you're going to claim that the Old Testament is authoritative on the law, then, you know, you, you can't touch pig skin, and so no one can play football, and crazy ideas <laughs> yeah. like this, when in reality, yeah. context tells us that there were three different types of law in ancient Israel. One was ceremonial law just for the uh, temple mm-hmm. uh, and for the priest and Levi. There was also civil law that governed the actual kingdom of Israel at its various stages. And then the third was moral law. And whereas ceremonial and civil law pass away, uh, the moral law does not. It continues faithfully mm-hmm. from Old Testament into New Testament. So right. all that is to say, there's just examples of mm-hmm. how context matters. So, you know, you asked, uh, how is it, you know, what is it that I'd want people to know? I just want people to know that context matters. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. And I mean, that's Context is king. Yeah, and that's something, I mean, you can take that uh, to every part of Scripture. And I mean, you can take that with you into all of life, you know? Um, Absolutely. That's something that'll serve you well, no matter where you go and who you're interacting with and what you're reading. Um, but Absolutely. particularly, I do think, um, you know, at least in my interactions with 
folks, uh, context does seem to be one of the things that goes right out the window when you read scripture. It's just like one of those things where it's like, well, you know, we don't have to worry about that because, uh, you know, somehow it's like the fact that it's God's book somehow magically makes that not matter or something. Um, right, and, right. Uh, and I think that's actually God's grace to us that he gives us this sense of context matters. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. deny that it's hard. You know, I think yeah. it's hard work to, to discern that context and to study. Um, but, you know, people have fought and died uh, so that we can – and died as martyrs so that we could have copies of Scripture. And right. We're blessed in this day and age with a multiplicity of resources at our fingertips. And mm-hmm. so um, it, that little extra work to find out what the context says is important because context is king. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't know if uh, this has been your experience. Um, I know you've uh, – you pastored out in uh, Illinois, right? Um, That's right. That's and right. Uh, you're now currently, say I didn't mention this in the introduction because I'm a bad host, but uh, you're currently uh, the director uh, for the Center of Faith and Inquiry at Gordon College. Um, and so you get to, uh, you're interacting with a number of different types of um, students and scholars uh, from all kinds of different disciplines. Um, in in your experience, um I'm curious if you found that a lot of folks, let's just say in the big C church, um, mm-hmm. if you found like I think I have, that most most folks um, in general don't seem particularly interested in actually reading the Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we hear a lot of, um, well, why do we need to read that if we have you know, the New Testament and Jesus Christ and the words of Paul and, you know, mm-hmm. so much, you know, the ceremonial and uh, civil laws don't matter. So why do I need to worry about reading them? Um, That's right. You know, things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, you have any number of those uh, questions um, that come up. What uh, what what would you say to someone um, who kind of thought that way about the Old Testament? They're wondering, oh, why, why bother reading this? Why do we, why does this still matter? for the Christian. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I hear that all the time, not just in the local church, but in the academy, and it can often be discouraged, uh, discouraging uh, with with that view. And I I think, you know, one of the things, there's several things to point out there. We certainly need the Old Testament. I mean, just in in terms of books of the Bible, the Old Testament, you know, is 39 books, New Testament's 27. Mm -hmm. And you say, okay, so that's a, you know, breakdown there where maybe... You're like 60% is the Old Testament. It's actually not true. If you, because six of the shortest books of the Bible are in the New Testament and the <laughs> yeah. longest books of the Bible are the Old Testament, if you break <laughs> it down chapter by chapter, verse by verse, it's 80% mm. of the Bible is the Old Testament. And yeah. so I just don't think we as God's people, if we're going to say that we want scripture to shape our lives, it, it, or, or even if we're not believers, if we just want to say, gosh, you can't get rid of 80% of the Bible and know what God says. And for, for believers who hold to this as our, our the center of, of our lives and our ability to understand who Jesus is and where he leads us, we can't just say, well, we're going to ignore 80% right. uh, of, 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 of his message to us. So that would be one, one piece of it. I think another one is that, you know, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was the only Bible that Jesus read and used. Yeah. So if we want, to, if we want to follow in the Lord's path, right? Well, the, we ought to yeah. do what He does, and, and that was what He used. Same with the early church. Mm-hmm. The primary scripture source for the early church was. Um, yes, they eventually, you know, as, as they're growing, pass the Gospels around. We know that Peter eventually gets a hold of copies of, of Paul's letters because he mentions – Peter mentions that in one of his letters, reading Paul's material. Right. Um, but, uh, but, but you have to remember that when Paul writes to Timothy and says all Scripture is God-breathed, right there he's only at that point in history referring to the Old Testament. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Right? So this is the primary scripture source for the early church uh, that they believe was inspired and valuable. So we can't divorce ourselves from what the first generation of the followers of Jesus said. Right. Um, and finally, I'd say, you know, the key to the New Testament is the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, I once heard someone say, never trust a New Testament scholar unless they've been an Old Testament scholar first. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, how do we make sense of the entire book of Hebrews? Yeah. If we, don't know what the Old Testament says based mm-hmm. on all those Levitical and priestly traditions. How do we know what it means when it says that Jesus died for our sins right. as a sacrifice if mm-hmm. we don't understand the Old Testament sacrifice? So, you know, these are just some major examples, and there are many others, yeah. uh, just to say that, that, wow, we really can't even understand the teachings of Jesus and Paul yeah. unless uh, we understand the Old Testament. Even the way you asked the question was interesting, because you said, you know, some Christians will say, um, well, gosh, if we have Christ's teachings and Paul's teachings, what do we need the Old Testament for? Right. But what does Christ mean? Yep. Christ was not his name, right? Yep. Christ is his title. Mm-hmm. That means the anointed one, which right. comes from ancient Israel and the practice of anointing prophets, priests, and kings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so yeah, man, we desperately need the Old Testament if we're going to understand the New Testament. Absolutely. And I actually, um, even, uh, I think there's even something um, that may be not even as crucial to like having a proper understanding of the New Testament, but just enriches your reading of it. Um, like for example, um, I had a great professor at Liberty who, uh, advised us one day to read the book of Exodus through and then go read the book of Acts and try to know all the parallels. And (laughs) it was just mind blowing to me, um, the, uh, the similarities and the way that, uh, um, the book of Exodus informed a, um, an enriched reading of, um, the book of Acts. And, uh, Absolutely. I just, I think there's, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of beauty there, um, that folks are missing if they're not engaged with what the Old Testament says and teaches. Um, so, without, yeah. without question. And so much of that, you know, it comes from, like I said, I think sometimes the Old Testament's a little bit further removed in culture from us, and so it can seem a little more difficult. Uh, I think people think that the, that these red-letter edition Bibles with the words of Jesus in red uh, are something that have been handed down to us from the beginning. You know, like <laughs> yeah. Moses comes off Mount Sinai. There's no red letters on the Ten Commandments. Uh, but that was actually in 1899, you know, was a marketing ploy to sell more Bibles uh, <laughs> in America. Um, and uh, it was yeah, the people, they thought more, you know, there had been a drop in Bible sales. The American economy had improved from a recession. And, uh, and this guy had a great idea of saying, hey, what if we put these in red um, to honor the Lord? blood sacrifice and it'll sell and sure enough it did (laughs) and it did and it did and we've never gone back but what that has done i think is creating people's minds the idea that um that that the new testament is more important the red letter section is more important than than the rest of the scriptures and we just know that's not true right yeah and uh that's uh, another one of my professors at liberty once pointed out you know sometimes there's a question about where those red letters uh should be, like in John chapter 3 is a good example of the parts where it's like, ah, we're not actually 100% sure that it was Jesus saying this or if it was, you know, John writing later, but, you know, uh, that we're is putting right. red letters is, on it. <laughs> so. That is right. That is so well said. That's, that's a great point, Josiah. That's a great point. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, the Old Testament for sure uh, is a vital piece to um, understanding the New Testament and understanding the message of Jesus and uh, the writings of Paul and Peter and all the other authors. I am I'm also curious. Uh, there, um, I do think there are some folks who do, um, of course, regularly read the Old Testament. Um, yes. And I'm sure there's 
a lot of room for debate on some issues and questions that uh, come up in a reading. But what in your observation uh, do you think are some of the most common uh, misappropriations or Mm. misunderstandings or misreadings of the Old Testament uh, on behalf of the folks who who do like try to engage with the Old Testament, but maybe they, you know, they heard something, you know, 20 years ago that was like way off and it just stuck for some reason. And it's like, well, the Old Testament doesn't actually say that. Um, Have you found um, any common examples of that or things? That's a great question. Mm -hmm. That is a great question. And yes, that certainly came up in pastoral ministry uh, along the way and certainly with my students as well. And it's a good question because it's just interesting how it's like urban legends within the Christian subculture can, can shape our view of Scripture, right? <laughs> yes. It's this strange little thing, like one little piece gets out there and it's, it's just a little bit off and, and then everything goes haywire. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I take, take, take the point. Um, well, I think honestly from my pastoral ministry experience, the, the idea of giving and tithing in particular – is, mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, you know, Jesus's standard for giving is everything. He looks at the widow's <laughs> might and doesn't look at the, bread, at, at the amount. He looks at the percentage that she essentially gives her all. And Paul talks about excelling in giving in his letters, um, which isn't just like, boy, you, you give. It's like, wow, I'm really going to excel at this. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, But I know I knew a lot of believers that said, hey, I, you know, we tithe or, or we should tithe. Um, and then other people that said, no, we shouldn't tie. That's Old Testament, not New Testament. And, and I just want to say that for all those that are ballparking this at 10%, the reality is, if you look at the, at the, at the Old Testament, it's very clear that there were three tithes. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, you know, you had, a, you had a tithe to the temple, you had a tithe to government, you had a tithe uh, just to take care of the priesthood and the Levites. And, and essentially, um, you, you know, you're talking over 30% uh, mm-hmm. in tithing. Uh, so the next time you have someone that says, you know, gosh, we're doing great, we're tithing uh, at 10%, you're like, well, you still got 20% to go. Um, and, uh, you, you know, and for those who want to do away with the tithe and say, you know, it, it doesn't apply, it's interesting uh, that in the scriptures it talks about tithes and offerings, but always it, 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 it assumes that followers of Jesus will surpass tithing and mm-hmm. giving and excel in giving. And so for those that want to hang on to it or, 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 or do, or I'm sorry, those who want to hang on to it, they need to know that it's 30%, not 10. And those that want to do away with it, um, need to be reminded that then they have to go all in on a hundred percent with, with Jesus and the widow. So I think mm-hmm. that that whole confusion about tithing, its percentage, its relevance is, is a big one. Yeah. I think another one is just a huge one is that the old Testament somehow is about God's wrath and justice and the mm. new Testament is about God's love and God's grace. Mm. Um, you know, that actually led to what the early church called the Marcionite heresy. There was a man named yeah. Marcion who said, gosh, these are so radically different. Let's just get rid of the old Testament. And mm-hmm. the, the early followers of Jesus said, no, 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 that's not true. That's not what the Lord said. Yeah. Um, and, and, and brought it back. And if you look at the scriptures, there is so much mercy In the Old Testament, I mean, it's the heart of Lamentations, uh, this book about mourning and and heartbreak that says, um, his mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, right? Uh, It's the Old Testament in Habakkuk that says we will live by faith and not by sight. Um, It's it's, it's the mercy of God that leads the people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. So you got a lot of mercy there. Simultaneously, you have a lot of judgment in the New Testament, right? Yes. So in, the, in, in the book of Acts, you have Anirus and Sapphira struck dead mm-hmm. for lying to the Holy Spirit. That's just an act of God. That's no one you know, else involved. Right. God just says, you lied, you're dead, 
right? Mm-hmm. So um, you have uh, the book of James, the, the fifth chapter of James. James writes that those who don't handle their their money properly are bringing misery and ruin upon themselves, and that their that their their corruptness will burn them, uh, yeah. burn burn their souls uh, and their flesh. Uh, you have Jude uh, that, that's talking about not only the judgment of people, but the judgment of angels in a, yeah. in a rather harsh fashion. And then, of course, you have the entire book of Revelation, um, <laughs> which isn't exactly known for being non-judgmental yeah, uh, or, or not involving God's yeah. wrath, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other examples of God's mercy in the in the, in the First Testament and the Old Testament, as well as um, other examples of of judgment and wrath of God in uh, in the New Testament, Hebrews, you know, it right. says very clearly. Hebrews ten, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands mm-hmm. of the living God. So I just would suggest that the Scripture is very clear that God is the same yesterday, today, yeah. and forever, yeah. and He is a God of both mm-hmm. grace and truth. Yeah. Mercy and and wrath in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. So that's another major one. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, I think, excellent. I think that's something. I mean, we're we're seeing a resurgence of that a little bit today. Um, I won't mention any names, but <laughs> there are <laughs> right. Um, right. Um, I was just Broke reading something yeah. uh, last week about um, a very very well known pastor teacher um, who was trying to say um, we need to stop asking what does the Bible say? And start asking, well, what did Jesus say? And I thought to myself, what you said, like, oh, that's, that sounds like, oh, I mean, you want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but like, that sounds yeah. pretty close to Marcionism. <laughs> like, exactly. You're, he, you're getting close, you know. And, you know, that pastor has done so much good for the kingdom. I do want right. to extend right. grace and the benefit of the doubt. I'm still hoping and praying that he misspoke and that he'll clarify. Yeah, I'm, he'll, I'm he'll come out with a long letter later. And... <laughs> but, but it breaks my heart. And, and that's so unfortunate. And I think that is symptomatic of this this greater disease of, of, of separating Old and New Testament in a way that no other point, no other point mm-hmm. in Christian history, no other point in, in time uh, except those early days when they ruled it a heresy have Christians uh, said, gosh, we don't, we don't need the Old Testament right. like this. No, this is God's great message to us. It's a, it's a love letter. It's a, it's a, it's a storyline. It's, it tells us the, the story of the Messiah. Right. Um, so, in fact, the book of Isaiah, you know, the early church used to say was the fifth gospel mm. because it told us so much about who the Messiah would be. Man, so, um, yeah. Yeah. And I'll also, uh, I'll give you props a little. My father will especially appreciate the bit on tithing because he just, uh, when we covered Melchizedek um, yes. in Genesis, uh, he, uh, he talked about how Abraham, of course, tithed, gave tithes to Melchizedek, right? And my yes. father gleefully all weekend was like, now guess what happened? Melchizedek was before the law. So that means that, uh, you know, faith is before the law. <laughs> then <laughs> giving and tithing uh, is, uh, you know, is uh, before the law. And therefore you should uh, you should continue to do it. And uh, he'll uh, I'm sure he'll get a uh, he'll get a particular kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And that's good. And this type of, 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 of background that you all have that you and your father have in uh, getting, you know, solid ground in the scripture uh, at college and, 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 and in Coins case, you know, and, and seminary, and something that's on your mind for the future. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, these, these, th- this is important. Um, yeah. It used to be that, that, uh, that pastors um, were so well-trained in the scriptures and uh, from the mid 1800s until uh, really, the, the, you know, recent times, um, we, uh, 
we've lost some of that, and yeah. we we've unfortunately in the in the in the church in America in particular started to de- devalue some of that training. But it's that training in the scriptures um, that uh, that really help us understand God's word and then be able to apply it to our lives. Right. right. So we can't. Everyone wants to ask the question, "Well, what's the Bible mean to me?" Well, you can't know what the Bible means to me <laughs> until you know what the Bible means. <laughs> yes. Right? Uh, and so this is so uh, this is so important, and and the scripture so values study and training. You see Jesus. Um, training the disciples. And, and I've heard a lot of people say, oh, they were ignorant fishermen. Those ignorant fishermen, we know from the scriptures, uh, were trilingual. Yeah. They, they spoke, spoke Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's very, very clear. And they went through a three and a half year training program with Jesus himself. So yeah. they weren't untrained, right? Um, right. And, and, uh, and certainly um, Paul, you know, studies under the greatest rabbi of his time. And so yes. the scripture values his teaching. So anyway, I just say a, a word of thankfulness that you guys have um, in, in your own lives and in the leadership of your church there at Horizons, people that, that value understanding the scriptures in its context and then therefore how to apply it to our lives. Yeah, yeah. So... Another question, um, in light of all of this that we've talked about here and what we're thinking through, how do we, and I know you kind of hinted at this with the first question, um, so maybe we just talk about that a little more or maybe there's more to it, but when we're talking about um, a legitimate uh, contextual reading of the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. how how do we do that in light of the New Testament? Because I do think um, this is another... um, Interesting. I don't know. How to, it. I had another professor at Liberty. Um, he was an Old Testament scholar. Uh, he was a, a Gamaliel type, brilliant man. Um, but he, and you know, maybe maybe your view on this uh, is different too. Um, but I remember talking to him about Genesis three fifteen, which is um, you know most people, uh, theologian scholars say that's one of the first you know promises of the gospel, uh, the proto-evangelium, you know, that, uh, yeah. you will, uh, you will, you know, the, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head and the serpent will bruise his heel. Now he said, that's just an old snake story. <laughs> now he said, we're reading too much into that. Um, but I thought, man, like that just seems to not do justice to what Paul says in Romans 15. Um, so, Back to the, the question before I get too long-winded again. How do we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament? Does that, how does that change and shape the way that we read it? Yeah, that that that's a that is a, a a great question, and again, I think it's it's one of of context. So I think you start with what the Old Testament says about itself, because in a sense, if you think about films, right, mm-hmm. the Old Testament is the prequel. Right. right. Oh, yeah. um, so, so what you're saying is, well, how do we watch the prequel in light of the sequel? Uh, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, just like, uh, you know, if you're, you're watching, I guess the latest ones are, are, are Star Wars, you oh, know, yeah, coming are. out with the, you know, the different prequels <laughs> and so on, whether you like them or not, uh, you know, the, uh, the, whether you not, you like the prequels, everyone should like the original, uh, that Correct. goes without saying, yes, absolutely. That's <laughs> but, canon. uh, but whether it's yeah, <laughs> canon, right. Uh, so with, uh, but whether or not you like the prequels, um, you know, you, you watch those and you say, oh, well, there's now this makes sense in the sequel when this happens, oh, there's the backstory, you know, there's what's happening there. This fills mm-hmm. in 
the gaps now, this thing that happens later makes more sense. I have fuller understanding of it. And in the same way, it's you read the Old Testament in its own light, but you also understand how it connects to what comes later in the New Testament, and it should give you a fuller understanding, a greater appreciation, and therefore a more accurate application mm. to your life yeah. as you look at the at the New Testament. So um, it's all a matter of context, and and you know I I want to demystify this a little bit because I think people might get the impression like oh I've got to be a scholar, I've got to mm-hmm. have a PhD, or I've got to do these <laughs> these upper level studies, and 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 we really don't, and I, I just. I just want to take a moment just to demystify that mm-hmm. and say they're just simple questions and resources that every Christian can can do. So I, I said, you know, I, just a moment ago, I you know, I was praising the value of education and, and, and training for pastors, and that's that's true. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there are simple educational steps that every Christian can do. So for example, um, just some some basic questions that you can ask yourself when you're reading the Old Testament. You know, we first of all, context is king. So how does right. this passage that I'm reading right now fit with the surrounding passages? What book of the Bible is it in? And and what's the overarching sort of culture there? Do I need to look at anything? If it's, you know, if it's Exodus, I'm looking up something in about Egypt, right? Yeah. And so just get a good Bible, one volume Bible dictionary, or, or you know, there are, are online resources that I'm sure that you and others at Horizons can recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you can find out uh, more about that particular book of the Bible. What genre of literature is it? Because the, the poetry of the Psalms is very different than the history you find, for example, in First, Second Samuel, right? Yeah. Uh, which is still different yet than, than than prophecy. Then another question would be, you know, where does this fit in the overall storyline of the Old Testament? Mm-hmm. And then how does it relate to the New New Testament? Once you've answered those questions, then honestly, you can really begin to say, all right, so now how then do I live in light of what this is saying to me, what God is saying to me yeah. through, through this passage? So I, I went through those very, very quickly, um, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to do that as an example um, th- that these are not terribly difficult. Right. Uh, it does take a little bit of time, a little mm-hmm. bit of thought, but just to slow down as we read the scripture, uh, to not feel like we have to get through massive chapters and chunks <laughs> to be super Christians, yeah. but it's better to understand it and apply it, right? James says, you know, don't just be yes. hearers, but be doers of the word. Yes. So let's slow down, understand, hear it well so that we might do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, uh, just wanted to demystify that. I hope you don't mind, but oh, thought yeah. the listeners would want to demystify oh, this, yes. that it, you don't have to be uh, a Bible scholar, have a PhD or a master's degree to understand the scriptures in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Right. That's exactly it. Uh, there is, uh, I was going to say, we all have the same Holy Spirit too, right? You know, all of us Absolutely. who believe him and he, uh, he helps us and guides us and instructs us. And I, and he does that through those means that you talked about. And, uh, I think that's huge, and I think that's the other big piece is that, uh, you know, one of the, um, for lack of a better term, uh, huge takeaways from the life of Abraham that we're just finishing up is that you see over and over again he has this faith in God, but uh, to use the the language that Paul uses, uh, there's the obedience of faith that that springs from uh, Abraham's knowledge of who God is and— I think that's a piece that sometimes I think is at risk of getting a little lost when, uh, you know, um, in this day and age in particular, uh, we, we really like talking about, um, you know, the, the grace and the faith. And I mean, huge, huge, uh, 
massive foundational parts of the Christian life, but then there's the uh, the fruit of obedience that springs from that. And uh, absolutely, and absolutely. And in fact, I. Sorry, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm so glad you all just did Abraham. I mean, Abraham is so great because really, um, as I think about Abraham, um, you know, I, you know, you and I haven't talked about this, and I hope this is in accord with us, with you guys and and things that have been, you've been preaching and teaching on. But I just see Abraham as this person of faith, living in a way that is mostly pleasing to God, but not without failure. Oh, yes. And he's, he's striving to please God <laughs> through his faith, even yeah. though he's trapped in a fallen, imperfect world, right? Yes. So he's yes. trapped in the sinful world. He doesn't always make the most heroic or right choices. In fact, sometimes mm-hmm. he makes he makes these grave errors. Oh, yes. And yet he, he's a person of faith trusting that God is 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 active and involved in his life right. and and trusting the character of God that God can't be trusted and relied upon yes uh, for for help hope and salvation right yes yes and that's uh it's been a I think a, a huge blessing to me and our whole church uh, to go through his life and uh, realize that you know, this this great uh, quote unquote hero of the faith uh, he did things as terrible as uh, pimp out his wife to uh, yeah right <laughs> two right, foreign exactly. kings to uh, save his own skin uh, so if yeah. there's grace for him there's grace for all of us <laughs> yeah no that's yeah. absolutely right that's yeah. absolutely right and uh, no that's outstanding outstanding that you yeah. guys have been doing that yeah so. Well, uh, Bill, we are so, so, so thankful that you took time uh, out of your day uh, to have a conversation with us and uh, share your, your insights and your expertise. Uh, we loved having you. We'd love to have you uh, back on the podcast again. And, you know, maybe one, maybe one of these days I can convince you uh, with, with enough, uh, enough persuasive power to uh, come down to West Virginia and start a seminary or something. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, well, we, well, we should talk. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll pray about that one, brother. We definitely should talk. I've I've floated that idea to your dad before, you know. So it's not out of the realm of question. Yeah, my dad um, probably laughed and he was like, "Oh, oh, oh Bill." <laughs> that, yeah, something along those lines. I think that's right, Josiah. But uh, no, uh, truly, this is my honor. It yeah. really is, and I appreciate it. Anytime. Um, that, that, that I can do anything for you all. You let me know. I so appreciate you and, and Morgan. Um, grateful for your friendship and for the time. And and uh, and like I said, continue to pray for all of you um, in in leadership as well as uh, the entire congregation. Oh, there's a lot of folks I don't know there, um, but so thrilled with uh, what God's doing in your midst. And uh, so just I thank you for the opportunity. Yes, thank you so much for taking us up on it. And for those of you who listen to us, don't forget, if you have any questions you'd like us to tackle on the podcast, you can email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net, and maybe one of your questions will make it onto an episode. Bill, thanks again so, so much for joining us. And to our listeners, we'll see you next time. (music) 